You might recall that several years ago, there was a group of atheists who were very uh, prominent and very outspoken in the public square. They were getting a lot of press, and they had very prominent public voices. Uh, you might remember Richard Dawkins, right, in his famous book, The, the God Delusion. You might remember the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, who debated Doug Wilson about whether or not Christianity was good for the world. Uh, these men, um, again, were very prominent, very public figures, very outspoken about their atheism. And the prominence of their voices um, might obscure a simple and very basic fact of history, which is this, that almost all peoples in almost all places at almost all times have believed in some kind of God. Atheism is very much a minority report. There are very few people historically who have rejected even the idea of a God. Now, they might worship all kinds of different things as God, but almost all people recognize that there is a God of some sort. Um, now, that raises a question, right? Why... Um, on the one hand, why are there some people who believe that there is no God? But the more important question, I think, is why do so many people believe there is a God? Well, anything that that many people over that many times and places agree upon, at least in principle, right, that there is a God, that seems to be a significant truth, a significant Fact. Why is it that so many people believe that there is a God? Well, I invite you to look with me this morning to Romans chapter 1. And we'll be looking at verses 18 to 20. And these verses answer that question of why so many people believe that there is a God. Right? And it also teaches us that even those who reject the idea that there is a God, in some sense, they know that there is. Now, I'm not saying they're insincere in their atheism. I am saying that the Bible teaches that everyone at some level knows that there is a God, has seen the evidence that there is a God. All right, so what do we do with that? And what do people do with that knowledge? And what are the consequences for how people respond? That's what we're going to see this morning in Romans 1, verses 18 to 20. So let me read those few verses for us. Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, they are without excuse. Now, Paul is writing in this letter mainly about the gospel. But in verse 18, he begins to answer an important question about why he would spend so much time talking about the gospel, which is this. Why do we need the gospel? 
Right, the gospel, remember Paul showed us last time in verses 16 and 17, we saw that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The, in the gospel, God is saving people, God is changing people, and it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So you don't have to be a Jew, you, don't have to, you can be a Gentile, you can be wise, you can be foolish, you can be uh, whatever. All kinds of people, anyone who believes... This gospel experiences the power of God to save them, to change them, to forgive them, to make them new. And he went on to say in verse 17 that what is revealed in this gospel that Paul is unashamed of and is preaching all over the world, what is revealed in this gospel is the righteousness of God. And, and by that, he doesn't, he's not talking about God's righteousness against us, right? That God is righteous and we're sinners and so God is going to punish us. He's going to talk about that starting in verse 18. Here, when he talks about the righteousness of God, he's talking about God giving us His own righteousness. God granting us the the status, the standing of righteous before Him. So the reason He sent Jesus, He'll show us in chapter 3, the reason He sent Jesus is so that He can declare sinners righteous or just while himself remaining righteous and just. Jesus took the penalty for our sin so that God punishes all sin, but he can declare us righteous, forgiven, right with him based on the work of Christ. That's what he means by the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God is for everyone who believes. That's been revealed in the gospel. Everyone who hears this gospel preached and responds in faith receives this forgiveness and this right standing with God. Paul says, that's good news. That's what I want to preach. That's why I travel all over the world. I'm unashamed of this gospel. But Paul knows that there will be people out there then, and there are people out there today, maybe you're one of them, who you would hear that message and you would say, okay, but why do I need that? Why, why would I need this gospel? Why would I need the righteousness of God? I mean, I'm no saint, but I feel like I'm a pretty good person. I, you know, I feel like I do the right thing most of the time. Why do I need some special thing, some powerful thing, to make me righteous and and give me a right standing before God? Aren't I doing pretty well on my own? And Paul's answer to that question is, no, you're not. You're not okay on your own. You're not righteous before God on your own. You are in need of this gospel. And he's going to spend the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and most of chapter 3 showing us why that is the case. Why we need the gospel. Why, as he will sum it up in chapter 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. And here's how he begins to answer that question in verse 18. He says, not only is the the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel, in verse 17, he also says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So here's what Paul says, the reason why the gospel is good news, the reason why this gift of righteousness that comes to us through faith in Christ. The reason why this is good news is because the wrath of God is revealed. God's wrath is real. 
God's wrath is our biggest problem. God, because He is holy, because He is righteous, He must hate sin, He must punish sin, and someone has described God's wrath, I believe, as His settled anger against sin. So when we talk about God's wrath, we're not talking about Him being impatient and flying off in a rage or throwing a tantrum or something like that. That's not what we mean by the wrath of God. God's wrath is His holy, righteous anger against sin. And it is a real thing, and it is a real problem. And the reason why it is a problem is because all of us deserve God's wrath. Notice he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, against our sin, against our transgressions, against our iniquity. His wrath is not random. His wrath is not unjust. His wrath is deserved. His wrath is aimed at the sin, the ungodliness, the unrighteousness of God's own creation. Of us, of men and women. God's anger is against our sin. His wrath is aimed against our sin. And if you hear that and you think, I don't think I like the idea of a God who gets angry at stuff. I'm uncomfortable with the idea of God's wrath. I thought God was loving. I thought God was good. I thought God was kind. How How can that same God also be a God of wrath. Well, listen to how one excellent Bible teacher puts it. Here's what he encourages us to do. He says, to question whether God could be the good and loving God if He did not react to our evil with wrath. For indignation against wickedness is surely an essential element of human goodness in a world in which moral evil is always present. A man knows, for example, about the injustice and cruelty of apartheid and is not angry at such wickedness, cannot be a thoroughly good man. For his lack of wrath means a failure to care for his fellow men, a failure to love. So he's writing several decades ago when apartheid was still a a significant new issue that people were becoming aware of, of the racism and injustice in South Africa. And he's saying, if you know about that, and it doesn't bother you, you don't get angry about people being mistreated and uh, and injustice and all those kind of, there is something good lacking in you. You cannot be indifferent to the cruelties and injustices perpetrated against um, weak and oppressed people and still be a good man. So why would we think that God, who's perfectly holy and just and good, why would we think that God could know about cruelty and injustice and wickedness and unrighteousness and be indifferent to it, be unbothered by it? And, and honestly, we can be a little hypocritical here, right? How can we, in one breath, when some tragedy, some 
some oppression, some horrible thing happened? How can we say, where was God when that happened? Why didn't He stop that? Because we're angry about it. We wish it hadn't happened. And then turn around and say, well, we don't want God to be angry about stuff. We don't want God to punish people who do wicked things. That, that's totally inconsistent, right? The problem is, we don't want God to punish the wicked stuff we do. Most people are comfortable with God punishing the wicked stuff other people do, as long as it doesn't get too close to them. But when it starts getting close to us, the idea becomes a little more uncomfortable. I'm not sure I like that idea of God. I'm not sure I want God to be like that. I don't want Him to punish me. So I'd rather Him not punish anybody if that's, that's what it comes down to. We have this resistance to the wrath of God. We have this resistance even to the truth of God. Notice what Paul says there at the end of verse 18. Not only is God's wrath revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, but then he says who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. By our sin, we are suppressing the truth about God. We are trying to hold it down, either either consciously or unconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally. Our sin suppresses, seeks to hide the truth about God. So we're doubly guilty. Not only do we all sin against God, not only do we all do things that are unrighteous and ungodly, things that are inconsistent with how God created us to live, how He created us to treat each other, how He created us to think, how He created us to act. Not only do we sin in that way, but also by our sin, we are trying to hide what is true about God. So this is every person's biggest problem. Every person's biggest problem is the fact that you and I are sinners and God is a holy God, a good God who must hate sin. If you are a Christian, this was your biggest problem before you got saved. This is why you needed Jesus. If you are not a Christian, this is why you need the gospel. This is why we want you to hear the good news and turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Because God is real. His wrath is real. We are really, truly guilty of sinning against God. And unless God intervenes, we're doomed. That's why it's good news, Paul says, that he sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sin when he died on the cross so that God could forgive us and still be good and still be just. So if you're you're feeling the weight of your own sin and you're not a Christian, this is where we are pointing you, right? We're pointing you to Jesus. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus says, I'm wrong, you're right, I need you to save me, I need you to forgive me. No one gets turned away. But you have to turn to Him. You have to trust Him. Now, how can we suppress the truth about God if we don't know the truth about God? Does everybody know the truth about God? Because if they don't, they can't suppress it. But Paul says, Paul argues that everybody does know the truth about God, at least some of the truth about God. Nobody knows 
everything there is to know about God because God is infinite and we're not. We're finite. But everybody knows something about God. Here's what Paul explains it in verse 19. He's just said that everybody suppresses the truth about God by their unrighteousness. And so he explains how that can be. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, men are able to suppress the truth about God because God has shown them the truth about Himself. He knows the truth about Himself, obviously, but we would not know the truth about Him unless He revealed it to us. And He has done that. He has made it plain, Paul says in verse 19. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words... He's not revealed himself in such a way that only the philosophers can figure out the truth about God. Only the academics, only the people who spend their whole life thinking about, you know, ultimate questions and the meaning of life and existence. It's not been revealed in such a way that only those guys know something about God. It has been revealed in such a way that everyone knows the truth about God. It's plain. It's been revealed. Well, how has he done that? He's done that in creation. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So here's what Paul is saying. God has made himself plain to everyone. And the way he's done that is by revealing himself in a way and in a place that is available to everyone. In other words, he's revealed himself in creation, in the things that he's made. You don't have to have ever met a preacher or a Christian or seen a Bible or anything to have access to this revelation. You can be out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. You can be in East Texas. You can be in a you know, scientific station in Antarctica, you can be anywhere and you have access to this revelation. Theologians call this either natural revelation or general revelation. They call it natural revelation because God has revealed himself in nature, through the creation, through the things that God has made. They call it general revelation because it's been made known to everyone in general. And this is what David was talking about in the first part of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, the creation itself is constantly, day and night, preaching to us. There's a God. He exists. He's glorious. He's good. He's powerful. You owe your existence to Him. The creation is constantly telling us that God is there. No one misses out on that message. They can suppress it. They can ignore it. They can come up with intellectual arguments against it. But nobody is unaware of the reality of God's existence. God has made that impossible. God has made Himself plain in the things that He has made ever since the beginning of creation. So no person, nowhere, at no time 
can claim ignorance of the existence of God. Nobody. Nobody can say, I'm sorry I didn't worship you, I didn't know you existed. Nobody can say, I'm sorry I didn't thank you, I didn't know you were there. Everyone knows. Everyone has seen the evidence. You don't have to have a Bible, you don't have to meet a Christian, you don't have to live within 100 miles of a church. All you have to do is be. And you know that there's a God. Think about it this way. You can say that you don't believe that Homer or Shakespeare or Leonardo da Vinci or Van Gogh ever lived, but their creations testify to their existence and to their creative power. You can come, I mean, you can write a scholarly paper about why you think they never lived, but that doesn't mean you don't know better somewhere deep down. Somebody had to make that stuff. Somebody had to write that stuff. Somebody had to paint that stuff. How much more is it true that we know that somebody had to make all this? Somebody had to make the sun. Somebody had to make the trees. Somebody had to put the stars in their place. These things don't come from nowhere. Order does not come out of chaos. We all know that intuitively, even the people who argue otherwise and have degrees that they've earned for arguing otherwise. We all know better. We all know the truth. And that has serious consequences. The last thing Paul says in verse 20 is this, so they are without excuse. Without excuse. No one can say, I didn't know. No one can say I had no evidence. No one can say I was never told. Everybody knows. Everybody's heard. Everybody's seen, tasted, smelled, touched the evidence for the existence and power of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that a person who's never heard the gospel, who's never seen a Bible, who's never met a Christian, is still going to be held accountable before God? Yes. Yes, it does. They have no excuse for their sin. They have no excuse for failing to worship God. That's exactly what Paul is arguing. Which is why Paul was, and we must be, zealous about spreading the gospel. This is why he wrote the letter to the Romans. Not only does he tell us in the first chapter that he's eager to get to Rome and preach the gospel there, but later in Romans chapter 15, he tells them, when I come to visit you, I'm not going to be able to stay forever because I've got plans to go all the way to Spain, which is about as far as you could possibly go to the, uh, to the west in Paul's day. I, I want to go to Spain because there are people there who have not yet heard the gospel and they don't have an excuse for not worshiping God, which means they need a way to be forgiven. They need a way to be saved. They need a way to be made right with God. That's why Paul says... <clears throat> In Romans 10, he says, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? That's good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, he says, 
How are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In other words, everybody who believes will be saved. And everybody needs to be saved because they're all accountable to God. They all know He exists, but we all sin, so we're all in trouble. And in order for them to be saved, they have to believe in Jesus. They have to call on Him. Right? But they can't call on Him if they don't believe in Him. And they can't believe in Him, in him if they don't even know who He is. And they're not going to know who He is unless somebody tells them. And if they're not living near a Christian, they're not, nobody's going to tell them unless we send somebody. That's why Paul was so often on the move. That's why Paul traveled over so much of the Roman Empire. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why people pack up their possessions, leave their families behind, and travel halfway across the world to plant their lives among people who didn't ask them to come. Because they know that those people, if they don't hear about Jesus, if they don't call on Him, they don't believe in Him, they won't be saved. And they won't be able to use as an excuse, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a God. Now, did they know the gospel if nobody told them? No. And they won't be held accountable for what they don't know. They won't be judged for not believing the gospel. They'll be judged for not worshiping the God who created them and who created the world. This is why we do missions. This is why we do evangelism. This is why we give generously towards missions. This is why we pray for missionaries. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we preach. This is why we... Because even here, even here, there are people who have not heard about Jesus, who don't know the gospel. There are people that you can sit down and tell them about Jesus, and they will say, nobody's ever told me that before. Even here. Even here. Right, these verses are meant to give us urgency right, in sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus because all people at some level know the truth about God. And all people, all of us, without exception, Jesus is the only one who never sinned. All the rest of us have sinned against God. All of us are going to be held accountable to God. And that is why the gospel is such good news. That's why we celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper. That's why we rejoice. That's why we preach. That's why we tell. That's why we go. That's why we send. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Let's pray.